So one idea is can token carry privacy data. So for example, if I'm Reddit user, my token should allow me to get proof that I posted certain Reddit posts, other forums, and all that can prove that I have more than 1,000 comma on other websites. This has not been done. It will be done eventually because people will demand more and more functions from tokens, and tokens will be a container that you can encapsulate privacy and proofs as well. I'm Connor Svensson, founder of Web3 Labs and your host of the Web3 Innovators podcast, where you'll hear from those folk changing the face of finance and other industries with Web3 and blockchain technologies. Each week, I speak to a new guest who shares insights from their own journey with Web3, giving you a chance to learn about the challenges they've faced along the way and how it's impacting their industry right now and will in the future. If you enjoy this episode, please remember to subscribe, leave a five-star rating and review, especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. My guest today is Wei Wu Zhang, CTO at Smart Token Labs. Wei Wu and the Smart Token Labs team have been very focused on tokens for the past five years, going deep in their exploration of what's possible with initiatives such as providing event tickets at a station at the Ethereum Foundation's DevCon 6 recently and working with luxury brands on their NFT initiatives. Wei Wu, it's awesome to be speaking again. So crypto, blockchain or Web3, what was it that pulled you in first? Early uh, investor of uh, Bitcoin. I bought my first Bitcoin in 2000 and roughly 2012. I lost them to exchange and bought again and lost them to Mongox and bought again. So the third time I bought my Bitcoins, I didn't, didn't cash them out. So I'm one of the lucky guys who became relatively rich through Bitcoin. But at that time, my thinking was a lot of people believe blockchain can do more because it has a technology that was never existed before. It would drove the, the decentralized uh, cryptocurrency. It should be able to drive more. And uh, uh, Vidalik was a thought leader at that time, but I want to understand it from the, the real world prospect. So I'm not satisfied with Vidalik's answer that because it's a Turing machine that is completely trusted, therefore it can do anything you want a Turing machine to do. I'm more keen to understand what Turing machine can do in the context of the world we're living in. So I decided to go from the other angle. Instead of trying to, fo- to focus on how to make the blockchain programmable, I try to, fo- try to understand what programmable problemable blockchain means to the industry. That's the backdrop. I joined the Commonwealth Bank in Australia, the largest bank at that time, and became one of the architect working group member in the banking quota uh, system, the bank decentralized ledger system. This is because this gives me access to a lot of business use cases. So that is what pulled me in, in a way. After my having gone through almost 100 use cases and discussed with business stakeholders, I came to realize that there's a pattern where the tokens is, is the key player and smart contracts serves to make token work on the blockchain as well as make it usable on the website. So that became my, to- uh, my focus and that's why we have the smart token labs coming. We have all the technology around tokens and we believe token is a central place in Web3. Certainly a lot of prominent voices have articulated exactly that same message that tokens are this new primitive analogous to the web page. So with Smart Token Labs, you created the company around about five years ago. There's been a journey with that in that, yes, early on you had this conviction around tokens, but not everyone else has. So what's the kind of journey look like there? I know certainly you've had people like Mark Cuban sing your praises, which is definitely good people to have endorsing you. But how has it been and what have been the trends that have shaped your business? 
When we started the the company, our first use case was to tokenize FIFA ticket, and and the idea was、um, through that use case, people can see that you can use a ticket on a blockchain where you can have a secondary market for the tickets, and、um, you can you can reap the benefit of、um, secondary market, and the token issuer will be able to benefit from the resale as well. And you can use the ticket to use it on web. For example, go to Booking dot com and get special discount, or you can use it to get fast track、uh, visa application. That's the use cases we we thought for the FIFA event that was held in Russia. And after we pushed that one, we got get a bit of news exposure as well as the case and disease letter from FIFA. After that,、uh, we come to realize we see token very differently than the community at that time. So when we talk about tokenizing FIFA ticket, we don't mean building token economy where people hold a share of the FIFA business or share of the revenue FIFA is going to get. We mean that the ticket itself, which is redeemable for entry to the venue, as well as the drink and the discounted hotel itself, is the economy component. That's that's very different. As we slowly get to learn that people don't think in that way. In 2018, 2019, if we talk about FIFA, FIFA ticket tokenization or we talk about anything like card tokenization, people usually talk about incentive mechanism, not the central element to drive economy. So it's a little bit like when you talk mon- about money, you don't talk about the capacity that it can buy you food and drink. You talk about how you know, holding it or trading it, you can get more. So that was the tendency at that time. There was radical change after NFT. After the NFT boom in 2021, people start to see token differently because NFT kind of demonstrated that token can be different things. And、uh, ever since, we get we became very easy for us to explain the idea behind smart token labs, how smart token. Can reduce market friction and、uh, can allow integrated application like Web three without centralized points. And that that was about time we get blessing, for example, from opinion leaders like Mark Cuban. And now it's relatively easy to tell our story. But there's also been a lot of changes with respect to the NFT industry, especially in 2022, where crypto prices have collapsed and certainly NFTs have during the big, I guess. Run of twenty twenty one, especially going into twenty twenty two, there was a lot of price speculation there, and we all know that price speculation is not healthy for the broader ecosystem long term. And so, do you feel like we're getting to a point where people are starting to really recognise NFTs really for their utility, or is there still a lot of that speculation still baked in? So, speculation has its good side. It's it makes handful of people rich. And through this, it made everybody aware of. People change their idea of tokens. Demand NFT tokens to be specialized for individuals, and、um, to carry utility. There was no such ex- expectation before. So I think its most value is in changing people's mind.、Uh, we are working with the brands to make tokens useful. For example, we have a, a project for La Prairie, the, the Swedish skincare brand, luxury brand, to allow them to take tokens to events and.、Uh, To get、uh, special offers or to make websites change their behavior once they realize the users are the holders of such tokens, and we we call the product brand extender, and this would would not be possible and、um, without an NFT boom. But on the other hand, as we walk out from the speculative、uh, year, people start to lose faith and、um, start to have this blanket denial of what an NFT can do or what tokens can do, and it will take a year or two for this to recover. I think I don't think we have too much power to influence this. What we can do is to grow our capacity and work with、um, issuers who really make tokens useful. And、uh, by the time people start to have balanced view of token, we should be able to do a lot of use cases.
what are some of those broader use cases that you're excited to see as well coming? <laughs> the most exciting use cases for me are the smart things. Imagine that you have a smart car which can accept booking from anyone. Or if you have, you can, you can authorize a website to get, to find a customer for a car when you're not using them. Or imagine that you can have a smart table, which can be booked online directly. So traditionally we have a lot of integration needed for things like this to work. So if you want to rent a car, you typically need some to make an order and the person will confirm your order. Like in a few minutes, they check that everything's good. Same for the booking a table in restaurant. You can book a table, but you may or may not get it. Depends on the person to confirm it. Now, this, this sounds like just a small friction, but it's actually a big one because if, for example, if you have an app called Itinerary Maker and it will automatically arrange your day based on your preference, let's say this is AI-driven detective technology, it will be the best if this app can buy and sell the tokens, like buy and then table resolution token, then to integrate access to an open booking app. It's the fact that you buy the book token guarantees you can access the place is huge advantage because it reduced friction so much to the extent that then you no longer book table directly. You can use your itinerary planner or you can use the integrated application. Like if you go to a hotel, you can combine this booking for you. So that shows the power of token being directly tradable. And that can be achieved by having restaurant tables programmable, by having cars programmable. So I think that's the most exciting use case for me. So just to go through the details on that. So the, the idea is that maybe I could have like a hotel reservation and I could have a, a dinner reservation somewhere and the hire car and they could all be associated with the token and the token owner has that access to it. So you kind of package everything up so it's associated with that rather than having to have these separate bookings that are all made independently of one another. Uh, yes. And to do this, the tokens have to have a programmable interface. And also the tokens needs to be able to, do, to enable the use cases from the supplier side. We need technology stack for both of them. We're working on them. Yeah, and that's the programmability gives you this composability where you can combine them together to do new and wonderful things. Yeah. If we zoom out, just thinking about the opportunity for tokens, there's still a lot of people who are on the fence about blockchain and Web3, be that tokenization or other things and the impact it can have on their industry. So what advice would you give to people who are not convinced currently by the potential utility of this? Uh, <laughs> I don't have any advice to them, actually. So if you don't believe in tokenization, tokenized future is fine. The future does not happen because individual believes in them. It's because they, are, they have economic benefit for the consumer and the provider. And because tokenization enabled innovation that was difficult to do with centralized points or was not allowed to, that eventually people ease their way into the system. So um, take the internet, for example. I remember my father told me that uh, nobody will use emails because we will ask user for username and password. And uh, you know, we are not pilots, we are not spies. How can we remember passwords? And I think he has a point that eventually everybody log in with username and password for, with email. So it's the utility of email that make people overcome their disbelief. And I think people who don't believe in tokenization will simply find themselves using tokens maybe in 10 years, and they, they won't even struggle with the idea. They probably will think, oh, okay, I used to oppose this, but now it's here, let's use it. And right now, what do you believe are the biggest friction points for wider adoption of the technology? Is it the user side or is it the industry side? Or what are the big friction areas that you think stop the adoption being as fast as it could be or it realizing its potential as quickly as you'd like? 
So things take time to happen. I can see a few points of weakness. It comes when it comes. <laughs> so the, the first point of weakness is that the users have not have enough wallets. This was changed largely through NFT. A lot of users have NFT wallets now, but then they need better wallets because this NFT demonstrates a user have an NFT wallet. It doesn't allow the user to load an NFT code into the websites where the website needs to run the code. So they, they still need have to have better wallet. We are working on that. Business needs to see that with access to a wider market, they are able to sell more goods and services. So they should be more incentivized to use tokens. And uh, technical suppliers like Microsoft and IBM, they need to see the need for token-oriented design of their web systems. So it's no longer treating the websites as user interfaces, but it accepts user have a token and it can connect to that token through protocols, such as a proof of ownership, and it can make the website change accordingly, including connecting the business logic, not only change the look. Right now, if you have an NFT, you can change the look and feel of the website. If you have a high-end NFT, the website looks cleaner. We can do that, but ultimately you need to connect that to business. So if you have a car token, the website is able to get authorization from that and uh, locate your car and then introduce a customer to drive it. So to be short, sorry, in short, three things. User needs to have a better wallet and business needs to see the need to issue tokens to, to expand their goods uh, and services. And technology providers need to move fo forward to a, a token-oriented architecture. With that in mind, there have been some quite high-profile NFT initiatives by well-known brands and Web2 companies, two that come to mind are certainly you know, Nike with the work that they've done there, but also more recently Reddit with their NFT profile avatars as well. Do you see that these are kind of initiatives that are on the right track for setting the, I guess, setting up the future, or do you see them as still quite experimental in terms of how they were perceived or adopted? I think you, you, are, you are right on, on both occasions. So I think they are doing it right because tokens are issued to the user individually and they start to, to encompass what you, the, the privileged user have and not only the uniqueness of the collection, but also the privileged user have and the services the user can access. So they are definitely moving in the right direction. In terms of being experimental, I mean that a token can do way more than that. They give them time to grow. So one idea is, can token carry privacy data? So for example, if I'm a Reddit user, my token should allow me to get proof that I posted certain Reddit posts, other forums, and all that can prove that I have more than 1,000 karma on other websites. This has not been done. It will be done eventually because people will demand more and more functions from tokens, and tokens will be a container that you can encapsulate privacy and proofs as well. More or less become a reverse cookie. If you go to a website, you can use your token to tell the website what your capacity is, what your privilege is, and uh, what your preference is. But first, we need to do what, um, what Nick Knight Nick Reddit did. So yeah, they are in the right direction, and they are experimenting. As you say, it's, there's a, a lot more still to come, though, in terms of the innovative ways in which people can combine services around this and provide additional data, such as private data there. I'm 100% confident on that, yeah. Thinking in terms of proponents of Web3 like ourselves, there, are there specific areas where you believe that tokens really should not be getting used? Because there no doubt must be some use cases you see and you think, why on earth are they trying to use tokens there? 
<laughs> yeah, there are a lot of things that doesn't make sense to me, especially internal tokens that mostly for internal incentives. For example, that the users get a token because they use the system more and then they, they get a discount for that. If you make that token tradable, if you don't make it tradable, it doesn't have to be on the blockchain. If you make it tradable, then uh, people can generally get discount and nobody's incentivized to do more, use more goods and services. So there is an expectation that if you make something into a token, something that does not have potential, start have potential. The idea that, okay, now it's a token, so maybe it should worth more. Uh, I think that's more harmful. Um, so any token that was created in order to give the user the idea that it has more potential, I think that's, good, that's good, not healthy for the industry. And I guess a good example there would be, say, with a loyalty program, if you tokenized it, but you kept it still as like an internal running on internal systems, i.e. you didn't expand the tokenized version of loyalty uh, program to be on, say, a public ledger. So loyalty program on the public ledger, there are two ways these can be tokenized. And I think uh, properly. So number one is a non-transferable token, similar in concept of soul bond, but it encapsulates some details with your loyalty. For example, uh, sorry, you, you mentioned soul bound token there as well. And I think it's, it's helpful just to tell people what a soul bound token is, because I don't think everyone will be familiar with Vitalik's uh, post about oh, that. Uh, <laughs> so I read most of the paper, I didn't finish it, but a soul bound token is uh, mostly a concept at this stage. It's not an implemented technology. It's not something you can buy and it doesn't have a stake. You cannot buy a ERC20 token that represents the few, the universe where soul bound token is prevalent and you become rich for that. It, it's not like that. So bound tokens simply mean that instead of token being a tradable item, um, it became the anchor for a lot of elements of trust. So for example, if you have a college degree, that could be a so bound token and definitely you cannot transfer it because you cannot sell your college knowledge to someone else. He has to learn it. But that um, allows you to combine with other tokens to create a job application that is trustworthy. And the, the, the job agent can run a smart contract and automatically check that uh, you have needed a credential to apply for this job. Uh, the other way would be that uh, if you have um, taken unsecured loan for a lot of times, and then you will accumulate attestations on your capacity to repay them. So lender A, B, and C will say that uh, this person returned money in time and he's a good guy. And with these uh, attestations, you can create SOBAN tokens to prove your credit worthiness. So it's better be considered as a badge someone wears on his t-shirt than a tradable token. So back to the privilege token. So the, there are two ways uh, where it might work. First is that it can act like, uh, as described as a so bound token, which cannot be transferred, but allows you to access special things. And um, the reason you put it on the blockchain, you actually don't have to put it on the blockchain, but the reason you have a blockchain anchor where the ownership of such token can be proved cryptographically um, is so that uh, other smart contracts can validate this information. Um, so, for example, if a brand issues a privilege token to all of gold tier customer, what they can do is to issue attestations to all of them. They don't need to exist on blockchain because you don't trade them. But the issuer might have an anchor point, which is a smart contract, which has a validation function. So users who have that such um, attestation can run through that validation function and the smart contract will return true or false to see if the user actually have a legit attestation. And the existence of such validation function is useful for other smart contracts to, for example, say that you can buy this token or you can 
join the smart contract service. If you are a privileged member, a gold tier member, they can call this validation function. So that's the reason why you might want the anchor point on the blockchain. The second way where you, you can tokenize privileged token is you can tokenize points. But the problem with that is if a privileged user can get points and if they are transferable, then other people will be less incentivized to buy service directly with money. They will be interested in buying a token from secondary market. Or if you don't allow them to be traded, then there's no point to put on the blockchain. So there you have a dilemma there. So the way to solve this dilemma is to have token functionality programmed in a container, such as TokenScript we do. So the holder of the token can use their points token depends on circumstance. So for example, if you have a point token uh, that comes with your privilege that is worth $1,000, and uh, you can use up to 20% of these when you purchase, let's say, a pair of shoes. And that uh, scenario, a purchase a pair of shoes, your token script is activated at the point of checkout purchase to validate this use case and let you purchase the, the shoe. That allowed the token to be transferable in limited circumstances and still land with the reason why the token was existing in the first place. So uh, to wrap this up, either a privileged token can allow the user to prove they are a privileged user to a smart contracts and websites by having some, some, some kind of anchor on the blockchain, or they, uh, the user can get a point token based on privilege, and they can run the token script that comes with the token to use this token in different scenarios that is helpful for the for token economy to work. So broadly speaking, there's in effect these two categories where one of them is almost like it provides an attestation, whereas the other is that it provides some additional utility through programmability that's been implemented specifically for that token. Exactly, yeah. Fast forwarding 10 years into the future, and I know we've already touched on this kind of intersection of the different perspectives, such as the users and companies and the ecosystem and how they need to come together. But where do you think we'll be 10 years from now with respect to tokens and mainstream adoption and where they have utility? Oh, we will see a lot of token use cases. We will see all of the smart devices have a token interface that include cars, that include maybe smart luggage or smart, uh, smart meeting room. And we will see that individuals start to issue their time as token so that if you want to book training, your app can sort this out automatically by the token from the market. You can have a meeting with your trainer. Or we will see a lot of integrated subscription service because, for example, you might buy a subscription to a type of book or type of movie for the entire year so that you get discount and the users will not have to buy the Disney Plus or Netflix uh, subscription in order to access uh, the movie of the same type from both platforms. They probably can buy a token that can only access this kind of movie from either platform. This creates less friction on the market. We will see every user will be using a wallet. Every user will be using a browser that has a wallet capacity. So previously, Chrome and Firefox struggled with the idea of whether or not they should be Web3 browsers and they should connect to the blockchain. The reason they struggle with that is they don't see how connecting blockchain to, would change web experience. But that will change because they will start to realize that it's not the blockchain they are connecting, it's the token that they are servicing. All of the major browsers, Chrome and Firefox and Opera, they will be having wallets where there are tokens, and they will hide the details, how they're going to connect themselves to the blockchain. And users will be able to use these tokens as websites allow these tokens to be used. 
in 10 years later, I think with smart enough tokens, websites will not will stop asking the user if they want to accept all of the cookies, or only the essential cookies. Instead, um, the relevant cookie has users' privacy information, privacy preferences, and privileges. They will pop up, and the user can configure them to be used on all websites or some of the websites. That that will be the, the, the different situation where the user control their preference and privacy and privilege. These are my predictions. Yeah, it'll certainly definitely be nice if I can have a tokenized version of that, that provides access to the movies I've purchased on the iTunes Store and say Amazon Prime. They're not tied to those different platforms. And if we can get rid of the cookies, except pages as well, every website we go to in the EU too. I think those 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 would definitely be big wins for the uh, consumer too. Usually we get these small wins in Web2 because one guy beat other guys and or, or swallow them and they become big company and you're only one party deal, then it becomes possible. But this time it's different. Definitely. That would be good to see. So what are you focusing on now, Wei? What's next? So because I'm on the CTO role, my current focus is how to make a test station as usable as a token through our programmable framework. But in the long run, my focus is how do we re-architect web services to be token-oriented. Uh, there's definitely a key piece of architecture that needs to happen. And if people want to follow what Smart Token Labs are up to and what you're up to, what's the best way of doing that? And I think our team did a good job in, in keeping the Twitter Twitter account uh, updated. And uh, our website is smarttokenlabs.com. I think that's cool. it. Cool. We'll include links to both of those in the show notes. Wei it's been an absolute pleasure catching up again. Always love to chat to you and look forward to our next conversation. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode. I have a quick favor to ask. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to it. Leave a five-star rating and review it. Even if it's just a few words, we'd love to hear from you, especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. Thanks. Until next time. Mm-hmm.